0: Hey everybody, it's Christy Wolf and I am in Kelly Dry's advertising and food and drug
1: practice groups. And this is Joe Green with the Environmental Health and Safety Group of Kelly Dry.
0: And today we wanted to talk a little bit about cleaning up uh, from 2020, something that we wish we could all do, right? Um, Because everyone is looking to to stay safe and, and keep their space clean and their hands clean. And this has led to a whole lot of questions about how do we do this, what kind of products do it, and who regulates them. And so Joe and I thought it'd be a good idea to just take a few minutes and talk about what are these products and, and how are they regulated and what can we say about them?
1: Yeah, as you can imagine, uh, and I know, Christy, we've talked and maybe people have caught some of our, uh, our webinar, but uh, you know, obviously this is an area of hot topic and a lot of questions, And I thought maybe we'd jump right in uh, with one of the first issues that really comes up when I talk to folks about this and a lot of confusion around it um, is which agency has authority over the products that are making, you know, an antimicrobial or a disinfectant or, of course, an antiviral claim. You know, the confusing part really is that for some products anyway, it's both EPA and FDA that have jurisdiction you know, I come from it mostly from the EPA perspective, um, and in that case, the FIFRA, the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, that applies to pesticides, which is really broadly defined to include antimicrobials. You know, it's the same law that covers um, agricultural pesticides, but it also covers claims about uh, you know effectiveness, killing, inhibiting germs, bacteria, microbes, viruses. You know, except those that work on or in the human body. So those things are really fall under FDA. Those you know cover things like hand sanitizers and body wipes, Um, and that's not a product that you'll necessarily find within EPA's jurisdiction, or you know you can't look it up for with an EPA registration number. But you know where it really kind of gets interesting between FDA and EPA is with cleaners used in the medical environment. and You know, Christy, I know you've looked into that somewhat.
0: Yeah, I have. Um, You know, like I said, we've gotten a lot of questions ever since the pandemic started and companies, you know, maybe had a product for sale in Europe or in Canada and wanted to see, okay, how is this regulated in the United States? What do I need to do to be able to offer it in the U.S. market? And, um, you know, I don't want to go through in detail um, because we don't have time, but, you know, the starting point for that analysis when we think about devices and uh, cleaning or sterilizing is the memorandum of understanding between the EPA and the FDA um, that, that relates to liquid chemical germicides and, and you know, FDA regulating sterilants uh, for Reusable medical equipment that, that, you know, may be inserted into the body um, and needs to be sterile for that reason uh, versus general purpose disinfectants that would be used on, you know, different types of medical equipment that needs to be clean, but not um, necessarily sterile. And, and those still get regulated by the EPA. So even in the medical environment, you have to be clear on, you know, what kind of product are we talking about? What is the true functionality of it and how is it used? And then, okay, which agency um, regulates it? I, let me just, just flag here, um, you know, of course, as FDA did with lots of different kinds of products over the last few months, FDA has relaxed their um, their regulatory structure around certain types of, of cleaning products, if you will. Um, sterilizers, disinfectant devices, air purifiers... Uh, They've updated their enforcement policy to allow more products onto the market um, such that in the medical environment, um, facilities have the kinds of um, equipment that they need in order to to maintain a a safe and clean environment. And so it's worth checking that out if you're interested in, um, if you're already uh, offering one of those devices, typically they're they're 510K cleared, Um, or if you have one to offer that isn't yet 510K under the updated enforcement policy, um, the uh, FDA will allow it onto the market if you meet a certain consensus standard. So it's really been an interesting environment for the last few months. Um, You know, one question that I had for you, Joe, that I keep getting uh, as far as from, like when we think about textiles and masks, you know, lots of companies have come to us with the desire to sell masks, some of whom will have An antimicrobial layer, and and I think, you know, a lot of times when people think antimicrobial and it's on the face, they think, oh, this must be regulated by the FDA. But in fact, as you and I have talked about it, not not necessarily the case, right?
1: Yeah, you're right, and it is a constant question. Um, There are a lot of products that are out there um, that are really material preservatives or you know additives that are incorporated into a product that pre- are intended to protect the product from bacteria that can cause odors and stains um, and there's a lot of reasons why those products are, are out there it's it's under the treated article exemption that EPA has in place and what that exemption means is that those products themselves don't have to be uh, registered which is really the heart of the EPA regulation is uh, and it's an onerous and data intensive and expensive process to get registered. But what EPA has said is that if you're only making claims that you're protecting the product from these odors and stains or degradation, so preserving the product, that you we're not gonna worry as much and we're gonna let you get on the market with under this exemption as long as that additive, whatever you're sprinkling into this product is registered. So the additive has to be registered um, but, and then that additive then can be used in a whole bunch of other products, as long as your claims are being limited. And that's the key, because a lot of people, a lot of products out of the market are saying, look, we'd now like to be able to say, you know, we're protecting you, whether it's in your mask or something else from the virus. But that then slips into pr- protection of the user or public health, so a public health claim. And those products with EPA, those have to be registered themselves, like, so, and not only... Does the product have to be registered? But that registration also looks closely at efficacy. Does it actually work to protect, you know, the product or to protect the person, the user as claimed? Um, In contrast, when you're registering these additives for the treated articles, um, they don't, EPA doesn't look at efficacy in that context. So that's a huge distinction. Um, Now, the other area, which it sort of slips in with when you start talking about viruses and bacteria is the you know, natural tendency, particularly for marketers, to start talking about things like preventing or reducing infection or disease. And that, generally speaking, is not allowed by EPA. And that then slips back into the FDA world, which, uh, Christy, I think you've been encountering as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, it totally does. And and FDA and also um, advertising, right, FTC and... and state attorneys general and stuff. It, I think it's a natural, I I can see how this happened. it happens. I think we can all see how this happens. You think, well, if I'm in a cleaner environment um, and and the mask that's on my face is cleaner and the table that I'm sitting at is cleaner or whatever it happens to be, then, you know, it would logically follow that I am safer. I am better protected than I might otherwise be. Um, But, that isn't enough for Mm -hmm. purposes of, you know, labeling and advertising, if you want to start talking about reducing risk of infection or reducing risk of illness, um, or something like that. And, and when companies, you know, just to speak specifically about, um, you know, in the FDA realm, when companies have gotten more into those specific kinds of claims, and I'm thinking here about hand sanitizers, so not not masks, but you know, made specific claims around uh, COVID or MRSA or other kinds of um, bacteria, you know, this has resulted in warning letters because the monograph simply doesn't allow, you know, call outs of specific, um, of that level of specificity. You know, likewise, um, on the advertising side, I think if the FTC were to take a look at a product, let's say it's a mask. Um, and yeah, it has that antimicrobial layer. Um, but if it's surrounded by, you know, claims about, you know, be safer, um, protecting yourself from droplets and other kinds of Uh um, things that sound, you know, like coronavirus. Um, and then as you might expect, some consumer reviews about, I feel safer when I wear this, I'm glad I'm protected you know, um, stuff like this, you know, in the context, and we always look at context when we're talking about advertising, um, yeah. you can see, right, how the agency would say, well, what's your substantiation for how much safer consumers are, that consumers are actually safer, and um, it's as opposed... Go yeah. ahead. Yeah. You know,
1: it's, it's interesting because there's like a disconnect between the way EPA kind of looks at it. They have this box, you know, of the treated articles And then they say, as long as you use certain language that doesn't imply public health protection and you're so something like antimicrobial product protection and EPA thinks that's sufficient Um, and it can be sufficient to pass EPA muster and stay within the treated article exemption and not slip into public health world as far as EPA is concerned, but what they kind of don't really wrestle with is the idea. I think that the consumer is not really discriminating between the la- they see antimicrobial. They don't necessarily read the other mm-hmm. words and say product protection, right? Meaning that it's only fighting bacteria that you know cause odors or make it you know uh, stains on the product. And but they they you know naturally will process that it. it's probably giving me some protection too. Um, yeah. You know, and and of course, because they haven't looked at efficacy, and a lot of the well, you're supposed to have efficacy data for these kind of products. It's not something EPA is going to review, and it often isn't the type of data that you 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 know might keep it on file. But that often I'm seeing doesn't really rise to the level of substantiating a claim that we, you would need either in the FTC, FTC world or if you were trying to go into try to get a public health registration from EPA.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which I think is probably a, lo- a surprise to a lot of advertisers, um, because they think, well, if I've got my EPA registration and I know it, you know, it, it, ha- it provides some kind of antimicrobial benefit, then that should be enough, right? Yes, um, not necessarily the case, though.
1: And it's the so, you know the same kind of thing with you know like in, so for the EPA, the kind of claims that they will approve even in the public health context are things like kills ninety nine point nine percent of bacteria and it might have an asterisk that says E. coli and MRSA or, you know, certain specific bacteria Mm -hmm. or or influenza, but they're very careful. And then, but it's, you know, and there's logical that if you're killing 99.99% of these, that that should lead to a reduction in the risk of infection, right? Because you're depopulating the microbial environment, but that, But that's hard to prove, right, because like, how many microbes can be on the surface before you can actually say you're preventing infection or it's dramatically Mm -hmm. reducing risk. So EPA doesn't want you to go into that world unless you've gone into the more, you know, the FDA clearance, I think, getting into the drug and uh, medical device kind of regulatory concept, which, frankly, a lot of your certainly your traditional EPA type products don't want to stray into there. Uh, if they're not really a medical device, right, right. But you know, I think you know the other thing you mentioned it earlier um, was, and you know, is I do see a lot of companies that have registrations or products that are are on the market in the EU or Canada, and it's important to note that those those countries do have or jurisdictions do have significantly different, uh, or at least so, somewhat different. Requirements um, that you know, the that are are doesn't translate necessarily into the same, uh, you know, approval that you might obtain in the US. So it's important Mm -hmm. to recognize that just because it's accepted in the EU or Canada doesn't mean it's going to be the same process here in the US.
0: I think that's right. And and just to to close out, I guess, um, you know, given how. I guess quickly, we all find ourselves in this situation um, and how many new entrants there are to the market, whether it's companies making masks or selling masks, or they've got a sanitizer product or, you know, something like this. You know, a lot of companies are transitioning existing manufacturing lines to make new kinds of products in new regulatory areas. Um, You know, not only do those companies need to do the analysis before they get to either the U S market or whatever market they're, they're dealing in. Um, but for companies that are, or people that are looking to buy these products, um, there is, you know, it's good to know what the regulatory landscape is so that, you know, if you're getting what you think you're getting, um, because there, there's definitely a healthy dose of, of buyer beware, um, that will hopefully serve you well in the long run.
1: Yeah, and a lot of, I mean, EPA is laser-focused on the any kind of antiviral claims right now, particularly things that, that you know, there's a lot of products out on uh, being sold on the internet um, that are coming in without registrations, without any kind of uh, supporting information. Uh, and those are troublesome, certainly from the the agency's perspective, but for all of us, really, because it's, you, it's hard to rely on those as being either safe to use or to be effective. Um, you know, I'm, there are issues and concerns with maybe the way EPA reviews some of these claims, and you know, we could quibble with that, but at least we know that there is some level of demonstration that's required to support the claims. But, and if you're, you, you want to be careful to avoid those Products that you see you see on the market that don't have an EPA registration, at least as long as they're the ones that are in the EPA side of things. So again, it's you kind of have to remember if it's working on or in the human body, that's FDA. Otherwise, if it's you know a spray-on kind of disinfectant thing, that's often EPA unless it's in the medical arena. So it can be confusing, but you know there are a couple things you can look for. You know, uh, I like I tell people to look for that EPA registration number. It's in fine print. Uh, down there should be a label with the you know identity of the added of the ingredients and um, you'll see EPA, R-E-G-N-O, that's their ePA registration number and an EPA establishment number those are things you can look for to to know you have a registered and, and legal product and an EPA also has a, some website information on those types of products that are have been reviewed and approved because again I guess when we get into covid that's a whole whole other interesting side of this is that you know, normally for registration, you need to demonstrate that you've been effective against the particular virus you're trying to make a claim against. But for COVID, of course, until recently, there hasn't really been uh, that 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 has that virus hasn't been available to do testing against. So EPA has a whole separate policy, which is a whole different uh, podcast as to you know how do you demonstrate effectiveness and be able to make those claims. But there is a list that EPA publishes of of products list N that they have looked reviewed and fit the criteria for at least for the time being allowing those types of claims against the virus so those are new things to take a look take a look at
0: that's good to know because we're all trying to keep our stuff cleaner i think probably than we ever have yep um so this has been a great conversation let me just flag for everybody that we have a lot of resources available on our website. We have a, a COVID-19 resource center available at kellydry.com K-E-L-L-E-Y-D-R-Y-E.com, as well as our, um, AdLaw Access Resource Center, our, our blogs, um, not just the AdLaw blog, but we have an FDA blog and Joe.
1: The Kelly Greenlaw blog. Kelly
0: Greenlaw. There you go. Um, check it out. And, um, also, you can catch a full presentation that Joe and I did on this same topic, get a little more information, some more links and and other helpful content to help your company make the right decisions. So thanks for listening.
1: Have a great Thank day. Paul. Take care.